Here we go again. Welcome back to a, another episode of the GST Junkies. Thanks again to all of our listeners who checked out episode number two, Level Up Your Chin Up. This week, we're going to talk a little bit about flexibility. But before we get into that, let's touch base with Mr. Erdy. How are you doing, mate? We're about to see you in the world right now. Hey, hey. We are still in Australia, fortunately. Although now on the other side of Australia, I think last time we spoke, I was, on, I was in Western Australia. Now I'm in New South Wales. So getting to explore a little bit. We've, where have we been? We've been to Victoria, went to Melbourne, and then made our way along the coast. Now we're currently right by the Royal National Park, just below Sydney, and soon going to be heading up closer to you. So yeah, we're slowly slowly closing the gap. <laughs> that's it, mate. That's it. Well, we'll, we'll be heading south, so we're going to meet you, meet you in Noosa. We're about to do a house swap for uh, nine months, so we're heading over to South Australia. So the point where you're going to come and visit me up here in Queensland, it's not going to happen, but it's good that our paths are going to cross in Noosa maybe for a week and we'll be able to catch up and maybe even do a live podcast then, mate. We should definitely do a live podcast in Noosa. Or, yeah, one in person in Noosa. And maybe record some content as well. That'll be fun. For covering yeah. some of the things that we've been covering in the podcasts. That'll be yeah, good. definitely, mate. I'm looking, looking forward to it. Yeah, same. Yeah. But, so today we're chatting flexibility. Or mobility. Actually, do you define the difference between flexibility and mobility? I think that maybe that might be a good starting point when you talk about it. Or do you just, or do you even mention mobility anymore? Because there used to be a time when everyone was like, "Oh, I don't do flexibility. I only do mobility. I get strong in my in my ranges." Or um, whereas, like you know, mobility is active, flexibility is passive. Blah blah blah. Do you define any of that stuff anymore, or you just kind of mix and match? It's funny you mention that because like back in the day when I first started doing more of the mobility, flexibility, whichever way you want to talk about it, you know, certifications and stuff, like there was a lot of talk around that. Are you flexible or are you mobile and which one's which? And, you know, I think from like, you know, Cali Starrett with Mobility Wide and then the FRC guys would be going mobility and everyone was talking mobility. But these days I actually prefer the word flexibility and I don't know. I don't really define the difference anymore. I used to worry about it, but it's just like, fuck, let's just get flexible. Yeah. <laughs> Yourself? They're pretty much the same. I stopped, I stopped trying to distinguish between the two. I think there's obviously like you know, different facets within flexibility training, different ways of training it, and I'll probably cover them today, but I've stopped being like really picky with the words and just said, I, I, I tend to just use the word flexibility now too. Yeah, yeah. I think in gymnastics, it's always been talked about as, you know, gymnastics flexibility. It hasn't really been gymnastics mobility. I suppose in my mind, mobility first came about when, you know, Kelly Starrett started doing mobility wad. And, yes. and and that was my first exposure to a lot of sort of mobility or flexibility stuff because I was obviously running the CrossFit gym at the time. But yeah, other than, other than that, I think, yeah, it's much of a muchness these days. Yeah, he introduced that like different perspective on it than he in terms of, Oh, you're not just stre- like holding a stretch and waiting. It's like you're actually mobilizing. You're trying to move a joint. You're trying to get it to to work for the the performances or the the training that you want to be doing. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's get stuck in with a bit of story, mate. I'd love to hear. Yeah. I don't think I've ever asked you this, but you know, obviously, when we first met, we probably weren't doing much flexibility. We were more about the body weight training, the movement training. I was still doing lots of strength training and CrossFit stuff at the time, I believe. But yeah, talk, talk to us a little bit about your flexibility journey and what got you into it. Why the yes. interest? 
I think we met in 2015 and I think I could touch my toes at that point. Like I, I always sort of like had that forward fold range where I could touch the floor or touch my toes. But yeah, anything like splits, pancake, bridge, front split, it, it just didn't exist. And I think it was similar for you from what I remember. But uh, to be honest, my first intro to flexibility was touching my toes. And that's probably why it was my strongest range, the forward fold, or at least one of them. And that was when I used to kickbox when I was younger, like around 13, 14 years old. And it was just the generic stretch that they get to do at the end of the class. Like, okay, you finish your class, now everyone touch your toes. <laughs> so we'd go down, touch my toes. Or like stretch that range and but because you're young you, you do adapt like you just the body just gets better and i remember i did get better right quite quickly and then it's always just now been my strongest range i'm assuming because of that intro as a child or as a teenager but i didn't really start to train flexibility properly until i started training with emmet in 2018 and even then I was hesitant to really stick to the mobility sessions because he would, you know, program handstand strength and flexibility sessions. And I would just, I would miss, I would skip most of the flexibility work. I didn't like it. It was, uh, it was uncomfortable. You know, it was different. It was boring. It was like slow results. I hated it. And then it probably wasn't until I got injured or until like, I, I kind of, I, there, there was a bit of an injury reasoning and also a bit of a, I need to now get more flexible because if I don't, these movements are going to get really hard, like impossible to do, or just a lot, lot harder to do. It was like a combination of those two when I actually started to take it a bit more seriously and be like, okay, let me actually make some effort. And, you know, I guess I had one of the best flexibility coaches as well online. So it's like, I should, probably shouldn't be wasting this, this service and I should actually just stick to it and get the results that I deserve. <laughs> opportunity missed mate you could have you could have been more flexible ages ago <laughs> well, yeah, I could have been a contortionist like I've been training ever for almost five years uh, yeah jeez <laughs> and now and now you're coaching this stuff mate yeah exactly and now now I'm coaching it yeah there um, you go who would have thought hey who would have thought the guy who hated doing it now like <laughs> trying to help others get it, trying to get others flexible I mean it's it's obviously it's good because I think you know people like ourselves who we're never naturally flexible and we always struggle like we always struggled with it especially in the hips trying to get more flexible was a grind so we had to like seek out different methods and try different things and different perspectives so then when it comes to teaching other people who are like us which are like tight and not naturally flexible it is obviously helped close that gap of knowledge and i can help you like i know how to help you and maybe this person who's been flexible their whole life maybe their routine hasn't worked for you because they haven't addressed your situation you know so yeah yeah it's that experience mate for sure i'm curious though like you talked about injury there what was the injury and and why did flexibility seem like the solution to you okay so actually the flexibility wasn't the solution for the injury it was more so i'm injured so i have more free time for other things so <laughs> i'm gonna i may as well do something because otherwise i'm gonna go crazy but basically it was like a really awkward shoulder injury that I had just before I started training with Emmett but it, it lasted a while like it took us a while to get to the bottom of it and that's why I actually started training handstands but because I started emphasizing more handstands and less of my strength training so I couldn't really do muscle ups for example I couldn't do pull ups I, mean, I was very restricted for what I could do for the upper body so 
the stuff that I used to spend 80% of my time on, I could now only spend like 5% of my time on. So I had to like fill up the gap with other stuff because I like training. So I did more handstands and then I was like, oh, I'm also going to do more flexibility because it's going to help my handstands. Like my straddle at the moment, it looks like it's poor. You know, I go up into a handstand, I try and open my legs and it's like, they're not even open. So <laughs> let's probably do something about it. But yeah, yeah. It, wasn't to, it wasn't to fix any injuries. It was to... Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Interesting. Mate. That's always a similar then. I think, you know, some people move across because of injury. Like it's like, oh, I've got, I'm injured and that was my lack of flexibility that got me injured. So I'm going to step into this world now. Oh yeah. But yeah. Similar to you. Mine was, mine was, yeah, more sort of gymnastic skill related. Um, Yeah. Back in the day when I was doing, you know, team sports, it used to be go for a run and then you just sort of touch your toes, do a quad stretch you know, that was it. That was the stretching. And then maybe at the end of yeah. footing or something like that, you'd, you'd do a couple of little basic stretches, you know, 30 second holds and that'd be it. And then like same when I started doing, you know, endurance sports like marathon running and triathlons and stuff, you know, you'd you'd be going for a run or you'd be going for a swim and you'd just do a little bit of a light bit. And then you'd, you know, do a few little stretches, hold for 30 seconds, go for a run, get back, yeah. you know, maybe lucky if you do two or three stretches after you do your session. <laughs> you know, stretching yeah. wasn't something that we did a lot of. And then, yeah, when I first started doing, when I first started doing CrossFit, like there was obviously areas where I was, where I was tight, but in my mind it was like, well, just do strength training. Like if you're squatting and you're squatting loaded, eventually it's going to stretch you out and then you're going to be able to do deep squats. So I could squat deep. I could deadlift with a flat back. I could do a, you know, a squat snatch and hold the barbell over my, you know, I had, in my mind, I had the flexibility that I needed for you know, my training. So I was like, well, I don't really need to do much stretching. I did follow Kelly Starrett and like, the mobility wad. So it'd be a lot of lacrosse ball in your lats and, you know, oh, yeah. a lot of lacrosse ball in your glutes and rolling a lot of stuff out, trying to release some of the tension probably from strength training or trying to improve that overhead position a little bit. Yeah. But other than that, you know, it was, I never really did too much stretching with clients with, you know, we were work and stuff like that. But then, yeah, it was probably when I first started training with Edo that mobility became a bigger part of my training. Yeah. It wasn't, a, when I look back at it now, I just think how silly the method was that we were using. Like, you know, for what you're paying for Edo to coach you, it was a cookie cutter program that he wrote for everybody. And it definitely yeah. wasn't tailored to my lack of flexibility. It was just like, this yeah. is what we do. Here's your stretching. But it did spark an interest. It did spark an interest of like, hey, I'm really suck at this stuff and obviously it's something I need to work on. But it wasn't until I left London in probably 2018 and I was traveling through Asia at the time coming back and, you know, I was into all my handstands and I'd moved more to calisthenics and bodyweight sort of stuff and I got my first press to handstand and it was ugly. Like it was just like, I could do it. I had the strength to muscle my way through the press headstand. You must have been uh, a beast because your pancake was terrible. Yeah, that's it. But uh, yeah, the knees were bent, you know, the hips were all over the shop and it was just, it was just ugly. And the same as you, I couldn't hold a straddle handstand, but somehow I could press the handstand. So it was like, if I want to get good at this, if I want to be able to do multiple reps of press the handstand, and if I want to ever be able to do a stall to press, I really got to do something about my lack of flexibility. So it was out of that that sort of drove me like, hey, I've got to, I've got to spend more time in this and I've got to start to, you know, dedicate training to this and and, and really work on this big, big limitation that I have. And the funny thing is, like, you know, I'd done the functional range conditioning certifications. I'd been and done one of Emmett's workshops. 
you know, so I'd had a little bit of knowledge about flexibility and I had started to use that, but it just wasn't really structured or I hadn't really set it in stone of what I was doing. And then actually when I got back to Australia, I I lived in Melbourne for about six months and Emmett came to Melbourne. So I actually did his certificate or I actually did his workshop, sorry, twice. So I I went back and did it again. I go like, I've got to go back because I've lost all the notes. So I need to to touch base with this and get better at this. So uh, I think you emailed me those notes from like 2016. Yeah, there you go. So yeah. went 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 and did it, went and did it again, mate. So yeah, which which really sort of helped. And then it was sort of yeah, just sort of taking it from there and doing my own stuff. And then obviously now getting some stuff off you and learning learning what you're learning, which has been cool. And yeah, seeing good progress with flexibility. But yeah, I suppose that was my story of you know what got me more more into flexibility, where I am now. Yeah, I think we both had our like external factors for it. It's like okay, we we had a functional reason if you want to put it that way, or like a rational reason to, to chase some of our flexibility goals. It was one to help our business and also to help our, well, our clients, which comes under business, but to help our practice. It's like, I want to improve in my practice. So I'm going to kind of chase some of these flexibility targets. Whereas I know that some people would do it just out of pure enjoyment. You know, some people would just stretch like almost <laughs> just out of, because they like it, you know, whereas I've, I've never fit into that category ever. I've never found like a, and in some positions that, you know, it's like, oh, okay, this kind of feels nice, but like, I wouldn't sacrifice time in my day to go and do that for no reason. It's like, if it's in my program, okay, I'll do it. But if it's not, it's not really something I'll chase. And that's probably why, you know, I will still look quite tight. Maybe or it was, maybe it'll take me a bit of time to get into some of my ranges, whereas you'll get you'll get a lot of people who will just very easily fall into the splits or into they, they just look like jelly you know the, the, mm-hmm. you look at their legs their hips it, it just looks really fluid it's probably because they spend more time in these ranges and just like exploring them but uh, it, mate. they're the people that have their morning coffee while they sit in a squat and then when yeah. they're working on their laptops they're in a pancake and yeah it's yeah. so strange yeah. people yeah i'm not one of those either i, know. I, I, actually, <laughs> I actually tried the, the squat this morning with a with a coffee and in the sun it wasn't too bad but i was like man this is exhausting i'm gonna sit down like a normal person i think that was another thing too when Edo did that you know 10 minute squat challenge like that used to kill me like it used to i could do it but it'd just be like oh such hard work but these days i can comfortably sit in a squat for 10 minutes without even thinking about it like yeah. it's Mate, it, was, it, was it was 30 minutes not 10 was it? Oh well, yeah. maybe I just set myself ten. Yeah. I think, I think you're ten like minutes in <laughs> You've got thirty, and you're like, no, I'm going to cross that out, and I'm going to put yeah. a one. I don't <laughs> like three, <laughs> one. <laughs> no, uh, Mate, so you mentioned you mentioned work there. Like that's another thing I wanted to touch on. Like yeah. when when did you start doing more flexibility with your clients? And also when you did when you did start doing more flexibility, how was that perceived with the clients you were training? Okay, so I never forced it on people unless I felt like there was an issue. I don't know, like let's say, you know, they get to the top of a squat and they can't stand up straight. They're just like constantly hinged over, like with a bar or without a bar on their back, just like stand it up. And, and you can just see this person's like hip flexors are just wrecked. Like they're just, they're so tight, they're like a piece of beef jerky. And I was like, okay, I think we should spend a bit of time, you know, doing a bit of couch stretch at the end of your sessions. Nothing crazy. But just a bit, because I didn't like to force it on them because it wasn't part of their goals. You know, if, if somebody doesn't have a goal to get flexible, I don't want to force them to do any flexibility training. This was this was probably in my pure gym days, like 20, 
16, 17. It was like in that time when we were like exploring the Edo stuff and exploring Emma stuff and the whole movement world, the whole movement scene. But, and even now, it's like if I have clients now who come to me, I will, so I will always assess them fully. If anyone's coming to me for any goal, I will usually go through a full or almost the full flexibility assessment with them, even if they don't want to train flexibility, because I just want to see the flexibility assessments give me a good understanding of like what to expect from this person with some of the overhead work, the squatting work, the lunging work, whatever it is. It gives me a good idea. So even if they don't want to train it, I'll assess it. And then if there's anything that I see, which I feel like would benefit their main practice. So again, if we go back to the hip flexors that, you know, let's say they want to, they just want to do their strength training, but they can't lift their leg like close to 90 degrees in a front scale. They don't even need to get to full 90. Let's just say they like, they come to like, I don't know, 70 degrees off the floor and they just start shaking and whatever. Okay. If we improve this, I know your leg work will also improve your squats, your lunges, your deadlifts, whatever, like it's all going to improve if we just improve this. So I will, I will do that for them and I'll throw that in there as part of their training, but it will, it will kind of look like strength training, right? It won't look like flexibility training. Technically it's, it is like end range conditioning or end range, end range strengthening, whatever you want to call it. So yeah, I've, I guess I've always been putting bits of it in, but now that I understand it better, I will, everyone will have something relative to improve their flexibility if I feel like they need it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good way to think about it. I think I was, I was similar and for me, it probably started when I started coaching handstands. Like the more I started oh, yeah. having clients who wanted to do handstands, like you just start to see their lack of shoulder flexibility. Yeah. And then it was like, well, if you want to do the handstand, we're really going to have to work on improving that overhead position and it's going to require, you know, some stretching. And because they wanted the handstand, then it was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to yeah. start to do some of this flexibility stuff. Yeah. And then also obviously in the kick up, you need a lot of good flexibility through the hamstrings to be able to keep those legs straight. So a lot of people are trying to do kick ups and legs are just all over the shop. And it's like, well, if you actually want to kick to a freestanding handstand, we've got to start to work on, you know, your hamstring mobility so we can get up into that position. So yeah. Yeah, that, I think that was the big that was the big thing that allowed me to introduce flexibility to a lot of my clients. And then once they've sort of started with that, then the idea of pancakes, the idea of pikes, the idea of gymnastics bridge, all these other things have sort of come to the forefront where they're like, oh, that'd be cool. I'd like to be able to do that. Or yeah, let's start to train that. So yeah, these days I think don't think maybe I've got two or three clients that don't do very much flexibility. A couple of those are dancers and they've been super flexible <laughs> for a very, very long time. They can just drop into a front splits for a pancake. So they don't they don't need any more flexibility shape. So yeah, it just depends on it still depends depends on the client. But yeah, I definitely start to include more flexibility these days with a with a lot of my clients. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, again, it's like more for like a functional purpose. So like, oh, you want this? Cool. We're gonna need to get this. Otherwise it's gonna be really difficult. The hand sense is yeah, a big one. I've worked with some people who there hasn't been many. But there's, there are a few where it's like, okay, we need to improve your shoulder flexion. Otherwise, you just can't. Like, you won't be able to get up and you just won't be able to get straight. It's just going to be impossible. There's, there, are, there are some people where, you know, they won't be able to reach a full 180 degrees, but it's not a big problem because you can kind of still tweak the line a bit so that they can be straight. They just won't have to full open it. But 
again that, that that I find that depends as well on like you know their wrists and how everything else is working. But yeah, a lot of them. Well, not a lot of them, but a lot of it's some people who are just super tight will need to fix that. Otherwise, it's just going to be impossible. Yeah, hundred percent, mate. It, 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 going back in my memory, I think you were one of those people. I think your headstand used to always be pretty much banana, wasn't it? The shoulder, the shoulder flexion was missing. <laughs> <laughs> I was a I was a good example of someone who I actually had the range in shoulder flexion, but I didn't know how to use it. So I would I would just default onto my pecs and my delts. And I, I didn't know how to push into the traps, but I was one of those people, yeah. I would be in a constant banana. I remember you and Pesca always bullying me in the park because I had a banana handstand. <laughs> and now you're probably the one that's made the most progress out of all of us because <laughs> yeah, I, I was bullied that's what happens when you get bullied <laughs> that's what people need more of we just bully them into getting good <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> they, they will either like crumble into like a ball of tears or they will like come through strong and yeah. make a change <laughs> it's the bulgarian method it's called the bulgarian bully method <laughs> survival of the fittest mate <laughs> exactly it was yeah, i'm grateful uh, for it yeah that's it hey before we jumped on the podcast we we're talking a little bit about um a bit, bit about the fitness industry and like you know, when oh, you yeah. and I both started, like flexibility wasn't very, something that was very common. Like, you know, you might see a PT stretching their client at the end of the session, but it really wasn't something that was talked about. It wasn't something that was a focus, but these days it seems to have changed. What are, what are your thoughts around that? Yeah. So if we're sticking to like our environments from like, you know, what we're used to in, I guess, like, you know, London gyms and Western gyms, et cetera. Yeah. We do. We definitely didn't see it, did we? Like we, we just wouldn't see. We wouldn't see people training flexibility. Like we would see people stretch, and some PTs would, would just get their clients to do the generic stretches at the end of a session. But also, if you think about it, those environments, people wouldn't come to get more flexible. So, I mean, this is my opinion on it, of course. But it's like people would go to a gym. Why? Because they want to get fitter. They want to look better. They want to build some muscle. They want to drop some fat. So it doesn't need any specialists in flexibility or people to improve on flexibility. Well, I worked in like more of a, a shitty chain gym, whereas you worked in a CrossFit gym. So there was a bit more of a, I mean, you, you worked in Virgin as well, I believe, mm. or like another chain gym. But you also, when you went to the CrossFit gym, there was more of a need for it. It's like, okay, we need to improve your flexibility. Whereas like, let's say in, a, in pure gym, if you had clients that couldn't squat, you're like, okay, we're going to do leg press instead. You know, instead of teaching them how to squat, I mean, over over the four years, of course, that my mindset changed for that, and I would help people to improve their squatting pattern. The four years I was working in pure gym, but at the beginning, it was like, oh, you can't. Okay, let's use leg extensions. Let's use leg press instead of like getting them actually moving the body better. We'll just always substitute. So I, I imagine this probably was a big reason for there not being much flexibility uh, outlook back in the day. And also the like things like Instagram wasn't very big. Things like Facebook, or at least in my opinion, it wasn't very big. Like the accounts are kind of small. There wasn't as much presence of it from what I saw in our environments. There may be elsewhere, maybe in other countries there were, maybe in other cultures there were, I'm sure. But in our environments, there wasn't. Whereas over the years, it's kind of changed, especially with the the movement scene. I don't think it's the movement scene that got it popular, but it obviously got popularized, like the idea of loaded stretching. And over these years, I mean, because we've been in the game for quite a long time now, we've seen people develop in their training. 
it gets to a point when people just want to either do something different or they want to level up. And it's like, if you want to level up, you have to improve your range here or here. You have to improve your performance. So naturally, once they've achieved the six pack, they've built a bit of muscle on their chest. They've built some arms or legs or whatever. They're like, oh, you know what? I kind of want to learn these skills. Oh shit. If I want to learn these skills, I have to get more flexible. So then they naturally just start looking for it. So this is the thing. I'm not sure if back when we were, you know, eight years ago, if people that were at our level now were doing the same thing, maybe they were seeking flexibility. I'm not hundred percent sure. I know like, you know, Kit Laughlin still had loads of clients back then. Like there was definitely a market for it. Emmett Lewis as well. He was training, coaching people in flexibility back then, the same way that we're doing it now. So the market was there, but maybe it was a lot smaller. I mean, it's, I mean, it's definitely a lot smaller. Whereas now it's like, we see it everywhere. We see it on Instagram, we see it on Facebook, you, you see adverts, four weeks for this, four weeks, you see, you see it in yoga. And, and I think a lot of more people are using Instagram now and you've got a lot more fake coaches and influencers and whatever. Everyone just, everyone can easily show what they've been able to do, whereas they couldn't show it before. So yeah, that's probably been a big part of it, I imagine. Yeah. I also think it's like, like you say, there's, there's more information out there now and it's more easily accessible with the internet, with YouTube, yes. with coaches running workshops and, you know, people being able to learn more about it. I think back in the day, like we knew what a squat was. We knew what a bench press was. We know what a deadlift is. Like that's stuff that has been around for decades and people can coach that. We can coach that. What's a standing hip flexor leg raise or, you know, and is that what you call it? Is that what I call it? Like, it's really like, flexibility stuff is just so unique or it's still evolving i feel and you know although some of it's common knowledge there's a lot of stuff out there that if you bring it up a lot of coaches and a lot of people wouldn't even know what the name of that exercise is and maybe not there's not even a standard there a lot of times when i'm writing a or creating a video for an exercise I'm like, what do i call this <laughs> you know it's not, it's not really common. It's not really common knowledge. So I think that was a big part that was sort of lacking and was missing. And I also think the research didn't really back up stretching. Like there was a lot of talk around, ah, oh, stretching makes you weak and stretching makes you slow and stretching decreases your power. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. there was a lot of that sort of talk. So why stretch? Like if I want to get strong as fuck, like why am I going to stretch? That's just going to make me weaker. That's what the research says. So a lot of that sort of got, got avoided. And like, yeah, maybe if we had a client that, you know, like you said before, had tight hip flexors, you'd be like, okay, let's do some couch stretch. But in my mind, couch stretch was made popular by, again, Carly Starrett, who was starting to pump out, you know, oh, really? this inf information. Well, that's where I first heard about, you know, couch stretch. So that sort of started to change my mindset about the flexibility. And that's probably when I started including more flexibility in the CrossFit programming. But usually it'd just be, you know, maybe in the warm up or potentially something like, you know, deadlift, like if we're doing an A1 deadlift, it'd be like an A1 deadlift. And then in the rest period, go and do couch stretch. Let's stretch out the front of the hips so we get better hip extension, better glute contraction. But, mm -hmm. you know, it's it's pretty limited. Like that's, but that's what I was putting in there. And then individual for clients, oh, I've got a sore hip, oh, I've got sore this, or oh, sore that. Here's a little crossbow. Go and press on that until you feel some tears or you show your pain face, as Kelly would say. Yeah. <laughs> but. <laughs> But yeah, these days, I think, you know, like you said, it's, it seems like there's a lot more information out there. It's a little bit more easily accessible and people are opening their eyes to the idea of, hey, I can actually train to do a handstand or I can actually train to do the middle splits as an adult. I don't have to be super flexible, but if yes. I start to stretch, I can see the benefits out of stretching. So I think that's partly why maybe the industry started to change a bit, the focus. We're starting to see a little bit more 
in terms of flexibility training and, and more coaches be aware of the benefits of flexibility training. I still think it's got a long way to go, but it's awesome to see guys like, let's say, you know, Emmett Lewis putting stuff out there, Kit Lachlan putting stuff out there, Kelly Starrett's still floating about doing stuff. You know, you've got range of strength. There's whole 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 of different areas that are starting to come to the forefront and different coaches standing up and sharing all that information, which is awesome. Yeah, there's you're right. There's definitely been an increase in knowledge and an increase in digestible knowledge, which some of the the more experienced coaches will pick up on. You're definitely right. I think in when you say it's got a long way to go, I feel like the flexibility industry right now online from what I see is what I imagine the strength industry was like two to three decades ago when everyone was just sharing a drill. It's like, do this drill, do that drill, try this drill, try that. And they would do the same for strength training and the whole idea of like, you know, the let's just go back to the meme of like the guy doing squats on a BOSU ball for improving their stability in a squat or whatever. That's kind of where the flexibility industry is at now with a lot of the uh, the common trainers or average trainers where they're like, oh, okay, so we can get flexible. Oh, let's just try this, try this, try this. Because there has there has been a lot more of like exposure to it. And then you'll get, like you said, people like Emmett Lewis who are putting out some really good courses online. So the, the, the personal trainers or the coaches who are a bit more experienced, they'll go and learn from this. And then it'll just become like a, not like a pyramid scheme, but it, like, it goes down the hierarchy. They then, you know, re- regurgitate that information in their own perspectives and their own way. And then it kind of goes down the chain, down the chain, keeps going until it reaches someone who's can't even like, you know, touch the knees and get experience from their local PT who's seen this, who's seen that, this online. So yeah, it's, it is, I think it's definitely improving and the knowledge is getting a lot more accessible and hopefully it keeps going in a good direction. And I don't know, it depends, I think as well, how the, I think I feel like Instagram algorithm and how that works also dictates how information gets spread <laughs> online. But uh, that's another story. Yeah, that's it. I think like what you're sort of saying there makes sense. But it's like you know, if you if you want to get good at squats, if you're not good at squatting and you want to get good at squats, well then you can have this mentality of all I got to do is just squat. If I squat more, I'll get better at squats, and that may be true. It might work. That might work for some people, but we could look at alternative exercises to get better at the squat like single leg split squats so we could be doing step ups polyquin step ups hamstring curls like there's so much variety that we can do outside of the actual squat that will help us get better at squats and then people see flexibility stuff and it's like okay middle splits all i gotta do is hang out in the middle splits yeah okay you could train the middle splits and get better at middle splits but it's probably going to take you a lot longer than if you did some of the accessory work and some of the other exercises around middle splits but like I said before, we've got some people. You've got some people who are super flexible. Maybe just been really flexible their whole life. They've been gymnasts. They've been dancers, or maybe they've just been blessed with the genetics to be flexible. And for them, they could just hold middle splits and get into the middle splits. And they, yeah. they, they just start throwing this out there, like you can get flexible in thirty days, just hold a middle split. But they haven't worked with an adult who's never stretched in their lives, who is in their th- late thirties, who's got a family, who's got this extra level of stress, who's working a full-time job, sitting at a desk all day. And all of a sudden they want to get the middle splits. So it's like, well, we've got, we've got to think outside the box and you've got to have different, different strokes for different folks. If we want to put it that way and find yeah. what works. And I think at this time now in the industry, there's not that many people who have been playing enough with, the flexibility stuff to have a good understanding of okay 
what might work for one person might not work for the other. But these are the key elements that we've got to bring together and figure out how we can target those key elements to say, let's get better at the middle splits if that's what it is. Would you agree? Yes. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. The, the accessories definitely make a, up a big chunk of it, depending on where that person's at. So generally speaking, like I will try and get my students to a point where we don't need accessories and they can just train the middle split. That's kind of like where you're, you've got now with a lot of your ranges. Like we've managed mm -hmm. to bring you down, I think, to like two or three exercises per main range. And you can just train that range and you, because because you've spent some time doing the accessories and feeling out what's responsible, what's not, your body's like, oh, I know what I'm stretching. I just need to stretch this now. Kind of like with, it could be the same with like squats and deadlifts and whatever, like with some of the big compound movements for upper body, you know, like before you teach someone a chin up, you kind of need to get them to hang. You need to teach them how to grip. You need to teach them how to activate the scapula. Like we we're talking about last time, how do you pull your elbows down? How do you flex the elbow? And it's the same with the flexibility. You need you need to understand the components because it's not just like one thing that's moving. There's different muscles that are responsible at different points of the movement. Hmm. So until you until the body recognizes that and the person familiarizes themselves with that, it will take a long time before they can actually get the bang for the buck out of the middle split itself or the pancake or the front split or whatever it is that they're chasing. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I want I want to go in and talk about some methods and stuff like that. But before we do, I just want to t touch back on the uh, the myths around, you know, flexibility training. W what have you come across, and what are your thoughts around, you know, some of the myths that myths that are out there? Some of the myths. You mean like the making you weak and making yeah, you like slow. flexibility makes you weak. Flexibility makes you slow. If you do flexibility, decreases power, decreases performance flexibility increases yeah. injury like there's all this stuff out there that was promoted for a long time which i think made us shy away from it but what are your thoughts around that or if people were to question you about that what would you say the injury one actually is quite interesting because i think a lot of people would scare people out of doing it saying it would cause injury but then like now you've got a lot of people saying the opposite saying flexibility will make you injury proof or bulletproof <laughs> when uh, i think like both both statements are just outright wrong like without yep. context what do i think about the myths yeah like it happens in every industry right red meat will give you cancer sunlight will give you cancer like this will do that that will do this but there's never enough context it's always just a bold statement and it's like but there are so many subcultures we could look at online that are proving you wrong like there are so many people who are cancer-free eating red meat three times a day there are so many people who are getting sun exposure every single day and they don't have skin cancer and then the same with flexibility there are so many olympic athletes who have more range than you and have less well i don't know about less injuries but they definitely have more performance and more output and more strength than you and they're faster so it's like does flexibility make you weak and and does it make you slow like if this olympic athlete didn't stretch would they be stronger like that, because essentially that's what this person, that's what the statement is saying. Mm. I think, I think myths are a lot easier to spread when information is less accessible. Right. So if you can't see subcultures of Asian Olympic athletes who are squatting and their knees are caving in and they're getting like maximum dorsiflexion and they're, they're probably getting a bit extra shoulder flexion and, and whatever, and they've, they're showing all these remarkable 
feats of like strength and flexibility while being resilient. If you can't see that, and some guy is presenting to you this idea that flexibility makes you weak, and then he gives some like rationale behind it, and you don't know any better, you say, "Oh, okay, cool. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do it." <laughs> but then when you when you see those things online, like, hold on a minute, something doesn't click here. Right. So kind of like what you said earlier in the conversation, the, there's now more accessible information and it's just debunked all the myths. Like, it, like it, that now everyone realizes, oh, actually, there's probably a bit more context to this. It's not the stretching that's made me weak. It's the fact that I am weak. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like the idea, like you look at some of the top athletes in the world. Like I think in my mind, the most powerful athletes in the world, the most the strongest, well, maybe not the strongest, but the most powerful athletes in the world would be gymnasts and, and Olympic weightlifters. And those guys yeah. are probably the most flexible guys in the world as well. So, you know, you might say powerlifters are stronger and they're very tight and pretty inflexible, but they're nowhere near as powerful or as gymnasts or as Olympic weightlifters. So, you know, these, like you said, some of the top Chinese Olympic weightlifters can do pancakes with the barbell on their back, no worries. You know, and we know the gymnasts are just super flexible as well. So you can't really argue that it, it, it limits power or it takes away strength or any of this sort of stuff when you look at those markets, like you say, or you look at those areas out there and sort of think, wow, those guys are incredible. I think the research, you know, came out and, and it still sort of does pop up every now and again. It's like, okay, these guys held a three minute quad stretch and then they went and did back squats and their strength was 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 less and it's just like there was no rest between the the, the stretch and then straight into back squats and like we know that stretching is hypertrophy training it's time under tension you're spending time with tension in the muscle if you're doing the stretch correctly now if i was to say okay let's do two minutes of walking lunges and then go and do some back squats with no rest in between you're not going to back squat your maximum fucking weight that's not going to happen so the study's flawed if they were to stretch and they were to have a long period of rest between and then go and squat they probably still squat their maximum weight so i think you know we've got to look at the methods of some of this research that's coming out or think about it like you say you know the different populations in the world that are flexible and strong and, and just put it in perspective. Like when we do hear bold statements, like flexibility makes you weak or flexibility decreases power. But yeah, that's my thought about, you know, a lot of the myths that were out there. And like you say, that a lot of, a lot of it's being debunked right now. Yeah. The research, like the, the research is a topic in itself, isn't it? Because you get research again in every single industry and it will be different tiers of it just how you'd get like a different tier masseuse or a different tier personal trainer. There's like different tier quality research. And the problem is you get very inexperienced people that when it comes to reading research papers, because you, you need to read a lot of research papers to actually start understanding how to critique them and how to analyze them properly. So you get very low level of research readers, let's call them whatever, who are reading like just the most popular research paper that gets thrown out for whatever reason. Maybe it's just by a popular brand or company online under men's fitness whatever and they're like oh okay i'll just take the word for it from the result like i won't look at the methods i won't look at the uh, the assessments and how they did this and how they did that because it's it's a study it's online it must be true and we've had this in so many of the industries especially in, in the health industries go over the last so many decades but what we've noticed was there are cultures and physical cultures online who are always 10 to 20, 30 years ahead of the research. There are always people like create because the research is slow and it's mm -hmm. usually done by 
it's not always done by coaches like like the coaches technically the coaches are the research like if you if you have a coach who's producing these top level athletes who are flexible and they're strong that guy has done the research <laughs> oh that woman you know like that that should be there but it's not advertised because it's not on a piece of paper on a google scholarship or whatever you know online so it's very it's very different yeah i'm not i'm not big on research I don't, I don't read a lot of research papers and I, what I usually do is I learn from people who do read a lot of research papers because they know how to, whereas I haven't spent five to 10,000 hours reading it. Maybe there was a research paper back in the day, which suggested the stretching was good, but maybe it just got put under the, you know, brushed under the carpet. I'm not sure. I have yeah, got, got lost, mate. Yeah. I think the research world is one of those things. It's, it's a lot of funding in research and they can prove a lot of things if they tweak the hypothesis to the way they want to. And yeah. they say the methods that they use is the way the, where the juicy details are. And a lot of people are just reading the summary. We did this study and the results were X, Y, and Z, but it's like, okay, how did you get those results? And like I say, I think there are a lot of great coaches out there that have never written a research paper in the world, but they've worked with hundreds of clients and they've delivered the results. And it's not something that's been documented in a research paper, but you know that knowledge from experience, from practical experience, from actually doing it over and over and over and over and over again, you know, is something that it's just so, so valuable that I don't think we'll ever find in in a lot of the research papers in the fitness industry, but. That's a topic yeah. for another time, maybe. Yeah. Let, let's let's drop the myth stuff now and move on to methods. Is is have you got a favorite favorite method that you know you like to use in terms of flexibility? One that you use a lot with your clients, or you know, one you want to share? Yeah, the my favorite one and the one like the easiest to comprehend for me is okay. What's the range you're trying to build? So, like, where are you trying to get more flexible? Let's say it's your hamstrings, and then you say, okay. What are the muscles opposite to those that you're trying to get flexible that are actually shortening? Because if, if you're trying to lengthen something, something else is shortening, right? It doesn't matter what it is. It could be a bicep, it could be a thigh, it could be a hamstring, whatever. If you're, if you're trying to make your hamstring longer, so I'm trying to lengthen here, then the muscles on the other side are getting shorter. So the easiest way that I like to approach it is make the shortening muscles stronger. Like that's... That, that's my my go-to and it's, it's it almost becomes strength training and that's usually the premises of most of my flexibility coaching and i learned that from emmett lewis or at least i learned the system from emmett lewis it's one of a few that he likes to use but it seems to be the most effective it's the one that which can almost show you instant results like i'm not saying you know you'll go from touching your knees to touching the floor in a matter of seconds but if you just do a contraction on those shortening muscles, whether it's like a like a heavy contraction or you're just like focusing on trying to lift that leg, so you're trying to lift your leg actively by using the quads, the hip flexors, and then you try and touch the floor again, most people will notice an improvement in their range, like instantly. So that that's my my go-to main method. I'll usually test that first. And if it works, we kind of keep going with that until it doesn't. And then we just tweak something. Yeah. Yeah. Nice one. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. I think like, I don't know where, where I read it or who introduced the idea first of all, but in my mind, I think about like flexibility training and being flexible. If, if you're, if you're inflexible, it's actually a sign of weakness. Like they say that our muscle can, can easily stretch to 150%. It's, it's net, it's length, like, you know, no worries. So it's not a tightness in the muscle, but it's more nervous system. 
And when we try to move into a range, if the body feels that it's weak there, it's going to protect itself. It's going to fire neurons and it's going to create tension in the body. And it's not going to allow us to move into that range because it's afraid that the body's going to get injured. It's a protective mechanism. So that when we want to increase flexibility, what we really need to be doing is increasing strength in end ranges. And if we start to increase strength there and teach the body that we can move into that new position, then slowly but surely the flexibility will open up. Is that something that you've read or something that you agree with? Yeah. So I think this is where the concept of loaded stretching comes from as well. They're like, oh, you know, just get stronger in your end range and your end range will become more of an end range. Yeah, it will increase because the body starts feeling comfortable because it's no longer weak there and you will improve your flexibility. This this is pretty much what Ido Portel used for the majority of his flexibility coaching from my understanding. It was like, you know, loaded pancakes, loaded Jefferson curls. It was, uh, did he use loaded splits? I'm not sure if he did loaded splits. He did a lot of horse stance for splits. But again, that was on the premises of getting stronger in the horse stance so that you could improve your middle split. And I think this was one of the first like popularized methods, at least within our, in the movement culture, put it that way whatever this culture is or whatever industry that we want to call ourselves in. in. So yeah, loaded stretching is definitely a, another viable way to improve, improve range. I have, that's, that's how I started with mine, with like some of the Edo stuff. And I, I built to like a really nice Jefferson curl with that. But then I, I noticed that I was weak on the other side. So because I wasn't doing that training on both sides and it, it would be the same in strength training right if you only train your biceps and you don't train your triceps you're going to hit a wall <laughs> if you only squat and you don't deadlift you're going to hit a wall somewhere like your posterior chains so the jefferson curl was the same i only did jefferson curls but mm. i didn't do anything to strengthen the other side of the chain so mm. I, I probably that's probably why i was getting so many back injuries you know, there was people claimed that jefferson curl would like make my back really strong so okay, but I, I I only trained one side of the back. Like it, it has two. The coin always has two sides. Yeah, posterior chain and no anterior chain. Lengthening posterior, but not strengthening anterior. As you yeah. say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the idea of you know what you said before. It's like okay, so we're we're going to try to strengthen the opposite muscles. We're strengthening, like you say, when I lengthen the hamstring, we're going to strengthen hip flexors and quads because they're the opposite side of the joint. So if we can strengthen them and make them stronger, we can pull ourselves into deeper hip flexion which obviously lengthens the hamstring. You know, you mentioned the loaded method. If people don't understand what the loaded method is, can you just explain that a little bit? Well, so that was kind of what you were just uh, talking about in regards to, okay, so let's say you're trying to get stronger and in, in, let's just stick with the forward fold because it's the easiest one to describe. You hold a weight and you lower down with that weight. So you get closer to your end range, but you're now doing it with a load. So you're now getting stronger, as we call it, loaded stretching. You're now getting stronger at the end of your range. So the end of your hamstring flexibility. That's what we would call loaded stretching. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just to was, add to that, like that that weight that we use is in a weight that's assisting to pull us deeper into the range. So like if we were to do, let's say, a Jefferson curl unloaded, we go to yep. a certain range and we can't go any further. So then we add a little bit of weight. And that weight might pull us into a deeper range of motion that we couldn't pull ourselves into with just our own body weight. But we've got to be careful with that weight because if yes. we go too heavy, if we try to add a significant amount of weight to that Jefferson curl, 
then again, the body tries to protect itself. It doesn't feel strong in that end range. So you can actually end up going through a shorter range of motion than you would do it unloaded because the body's not going to let go of that tension. So it's, it's this, I like to call it the Goldilocks of weight. It's not too heavy. It's not too light. It's got to be just right. <laughs> I've had, that's a good point. I've had a few guys where I've given them Jefferson curls and I've got them to go heavier. And as they increase the weight, their range reduces. Over time, it like increased again, but the, the body got apprehensive. It was like, oh no, I don't want to, I don't want to go to that same range. I don't feel comfortable here. So yeah, you go, you go too heavy, too quick. And it's not, it's not going to be great. The, I, I, I really do. I do really like the loaded stretching method. I just don't like that it become too heavily relied upon hmm. because this is what a lot of coaches do and I don't want to name any names, but there's still like some big coaches now that will like heavily advocate loaded stretching, but they will never advocate getting stronger on the opposite side of the chain. So they just keep putting weight up on the Jefferson curls and it keeps going up and keeps going up. I don't see them doing anything for the hip flexors or for, for improving the range on the other side. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you've got to be careful with it because it can't be, it can't be all of your stretching from my experience. I haven't, I haven't seen anyone who's been able to successfully do it, build successful, like very deep ranges, pain-free and injury-free by just doing loaded stretching. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, loaded stretching is virtually strength training, but in a sense, it's a change of perspective. Like I think for a lot of time, you know, we can see that people, when they go too heavy, too heavy with a squat, too heavy with an RDL, you know, too heavy with a seated good morning, we they limit their range of motion. Okay. They can get strong in the range of motion they train and they keep adding more weight, but then they just get stronger and tighter because they never work the full range of motion. So it's nearly like I've got to drop my ego. I've got to take yeah. a step back and I've got to realize that, shit, I've got to take all the weight off the bar so I can start to progress, let's say, a chest to bench seated good morning. And then once I can get my chest to the bench, well, then I can start to add a little bit of load and start to build strength in that new range of motion, let's say, as an example. Or I commonly see people posting videos of RDLs or something like that. The barbell is loaded with a shitload of weight, but the barbell goes just below their knee. And then they stand up and go, wow, it's a one RM RDL. I'm like, it's a one RM half RDL, half rep. But like, it's like, when, why don't we use the RDL to, to touch the weight to the floor or even a podium RDL where we've got to go deeper in that range of motion and, and focus more on the flexibility gains, strength through range, than just focus on, well, what's the biggest bit of tin I can lift in the shortest yeah. range of motion? <laughs> podium RDL, RDL is one of my favorites. Actually. I give quite a few people those. Like they have to progress to it, obviously, but it's my, it's one of my favorite ways of building the pike flexibility without having to spend a lot of time in pike, if that makes mm. sense. So it's like yeah. that, and then something for the antagonist. No, you're right. Like the loaded stretching is technically a form of strength training, but the one of the differences is that people who strength train will do it with structure. So they they won't just strength train. They won't just squat, or they won't just do bench press okay some guys do but normally they will do bench press and they'll do back right and uh, they'll do squats and they'll do deadlifts whereas the, the issue with loaded flexibility is because it is yeah. like a fresh amateur age of the culture they would just do loaded jefferson curls and they would just do loaded pancake what about like your loaded bridge work or your loaded anterior chain stretching you're not doing any of that are you so again you're only working one side of the coin and i think this is why it can become a problem
Yeah, yeah, I agree with you there. So that structural balance, as Charles would yeah. always say, you've just got to start to think outside of the box and make sure we're working both sides of the joint for stability, for strength, for, I'm not going to say injury prevention, I'm going to say decreasing the chance of injury because that's really what it is. You know, a lot of people talk about will stretching prevent injury and like nothing prevents injury. Injury is just part of the game. If you're going to be stretching and doing strength training, you're going to yeah. get injured. Like it's going to happen at some point. So decrease the chances as best you can, but it's, it's a yeah. part of, it's part of training, I think. So just something to be aware of. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the thing with injury as well. It's like injuries normally happen. Like assuming you're resting well, assuming you're eating well, you don't have any deficiencies. Like a normal person who isn't deficient in, in the essential nutrients and sleep will usually get injured by just pushing something a bit more than they should have done that session. And I, I've done it multiple times. Some of my clients have. I know lots of people who have other trainers as well. But then also there is just the sometimes you do like like you said it just it's inevitable you're going to get injured like you're training you're going to fucking get injured at one point or another but mm. chances are you're going to be in a better place than you were had you not been training yeah, yeah um, exactly. and you'll recover faster potentially if you've been training and you've been doing all the right stuff like if you do get injured the, the journey back is usually a lot faster than if you haven't been exactly so so we've covered a couple of methods. I think that that's a good one because they work together. We can talk about, okay, you could be doing some weighted stretching and you could be doing, you know, working the opposite muscles in terms of strengthening. So you could superset out of that and make yourself a pretty good program. But let's, uh, let's switch it back around. If if I'm someone that's not really done too much flexibility and I want to start flexibility training, where should I start or where would you help your clients start? So normally I would look at forward fold. So I, I would want you to be able to touch the floor. Preferably palms down on the floor is good because it just shows like a good use of the hips, good understanding of the hip flexors, the front of the chain, and good access to your posterior chain. So that's usually my go-to. And I would do it sort of on based on the, the methods that we kind of just spoke about, but... Generally speaking, I would I would like them to be doing like dynamic movements, like hinging based movements. Like let's say the stride stance, good mornings. Mm -hmm. We can put a video up of that or something. But where you're or even even let's just say RDLs, like we spoke about the Romanian deadlifts. Just work like working on a hip hinging motion that allows you to like fold forward, come back up, fold forward, come back up, preferably with a straight back. Or just start to help you understand how to move the hips and it will start to allow you to get stronger and also access the, the muscles around those hips and, and to lengthen the muscles around those hips. So forward fold is generally my, my first like mm. go-to for new people. And then you would obviously want to have an opposite side of that as well. So yeah, let's say even like just reaching up above your head and like just arching back a little bit. One of my go-to drills for complete beginners is like the wall wall assisted like spinal rotation so basically standing in front of the wall let's say like three or four steps you're gonna twist around you place one hand on the wall and then you try to place the other hand on the wall so you end up doing like a bridge on the wall and then you bring the arm off so again it's like a dynamic movement which starts to get the spine moving rotating arching and then you've got the flexing in your forward fold stuff so this is like if i like if i had to like really like minimize things down that's that's kind of the two main 
sort of like things that I would have to go for without any of the joints actually like bent, sorry, like bending, like the main like knee joints or elbow joints, whatever. Because then you've got stuff like your squat, etc., which you can sort of work on as well and your ankle dorsiflexion and things like that. Yeah, it comes into play. I like that. But in reality, I see that as three things that you've just said and it's the three most common things I think the everyday person is suffering with these days because we talk about, you know, most people are going to work and they're spending time in a seated position or a lot of us, you know, we're seated. So short hip flexors, short and tight hip flexors, we're thinking hamstrings, short and tight. So we don't really own a pair of hips. So, you know, you're stretching hamstrings there. And, you know, you talked about the beef jerky hip flexors earlier on. It's like, well, that's what they are. And until you start to train them, like, you know, you're talking about the hip flexion stuff and you're talking about the stretching of the hip flexors, you're trying to get blood flow into that muscle. So it's no longer a piece of beef jerky. It's actually a piece of supple muscle. Stretching out those tight hip flexors and getting some movement, blood flow into those hip flexors, which you talked about, you know, with with the with the couch stretch or the hip flexor stretch on the wall. And then I think the other thing is, like you sort of said, it's spinal mobility. We're just so stuck in, you know, this sort of sagittal plane, and we don't do any rotation, we don't do any back bending, like all that sort of stuff. We've, a lot of people have really tight thoracic spines, and that's one of the reasons they can't put their arms above their head. So I think you're hitting three of the big nails on the head with, you know, those simple sort of things in terms of starting flexibility, working on the pike, working on stretching hip flexors, working on core compression stuff, which you mentioned earlier before, a little bit with the hip flexors, and then obviously the spinal rotation. We're starting to think about the bridge work there has been pretty good as well. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like bridge itself, I don't think is like super important i don't think anyone needs to be able like i think everyone should be able to touch the floor but i don't think everyone needs to be able to be in like a great bridge but obviously if you're you know tuning into gst junkies because you like the gymnastic stuff like <laughs> you should probably work on your bridge you know, you're gonna need it for some of your movements and it's just like it's a good range to have but like when we talk about like just the average human you're just trying to get a bit healthier just trying to get a bit more mobile make sure you kind of know that you can use your body going forward touch the floor arms up in the air a bit of arching bit of rotating generally you're, you're pretty good to go and and like yeah the core compression stuff or the the hip the use of the hip flexors will be useful because chances are you are just like you said most people most of us sit down like whether we like it or not unless you have like an outside job the majority of people are sitting down for their work myself included so i don't i don't want my hip flexors to be chronically tight and chronically shortened for the rest of my life i need them to to, to be supple good way of doing that is you know strengthening the glutes so again like strengthening the opposite side of the hip flexors which is the glutes will help you keep the, the hip flexors a bit more supple and actually using them as well like doing your core compression work and your hip, your hip flexor raises things like this but what we find is like sorry I was also curious too, like just while we're on the hip flexors, like in, in my experience, like over the many years I've worked with different clients who've experienced back pain, like initially it'd be like, oh, we're just going to get your glutes and hamstrings stronger. Like you'd be working on trying oh, yeah. to build strength in that posterior chain and to help, you know, stabilize the pelvis and, help, you know, limit the chances of them experiencing back pain. But I've found, and I don't know whether you agree, maybe you can touch on this, that the more I've trained their hip flexors in terms of both flexibility and strengthening the hip flexors, the better their back has been. Like it's resolved more back issues than just doing deadlifts or just doing RDLs or just doing strength of the posterior chain. Yes. Yeah. This, this was like my, my big back issue was exactly that. 
like I had a, I had a strong deadlift considering how new I was to training. I had like a, I think I built to 140, 145 kilos, about 80 kilo body weight, which wasn't massive, but it was like, I was in the gym for like six months and I hadn't been doing it for long. And so, so I was strong posterior chain wise, technically I was mm. strong, but I had this lower back issue and it, and I never really managed to get on top of it until I started to get my actual hip flexors stronger. So, yeah, but also the glutes in hip extension. So, cause we say about like physios like to talk about it a lot. Oh, your glutes are weak, your glutes are weak. And then people just start doing more squats or they start doing more RDLs or whatever, but it doesn't always fix everything because the, the glutes might not be weak in well, or they, they, they might not be training the glutes in where they need it to be stronger. And for me, it was training my glutes specifically at for extending the hip. So the, the long lunge glute lift, I don't know if you remember that drill, yeah, it's like, yeah. let's say you're in like a yeah. long lunge position or a lunge position, and you're basically trying to extend the back leg. So you're using the glute to straighten the back leg specifically against gravity. This for me, as well as the hip flexor strengthening was huge for my lower back. And I, I mean, I, I unfortunately I had a lower back flare up this year. I think it was my fault for not squatting properly again, like letting ego go and come in the way, but. I used to get like lower back injuries once every, I think it was like four to six months back when I started training. It wasn't until I started like training with a bit more structure and getting my glutes stronger, et cetera, and hip flexors stronger that actually I stopped getting it as frequently. I was going to say earlier, like I think just having a bit more structure to your, like, like we were saying before, structural balance and some structure to your training will usually fix a lot of people's problems i mean again i'm no pain specialist i'm no physio but like you i've coached a lot of people and i've seen it as well i have people with back issues i look at through an assessment so oh you're very weak in this region let's get this a bit stronger it brings up the structural balance it doesn't maybe the back pain doesn't disappear but definitely improves yeah exactly yeah yeah, Charles used to recommend a book. It was called Stretch to Win. I don't know if you've ever read it, but it had a really good chapter on, in there around about uh, all about weak glutes or inactive glutes, which we're told about all the time. And then we're told to do, you know, band walks and we're told to do, you know, hip bridges and we're told to do all this sort of stuff to try and strengthen the glutes. But he spoke about it in a really clever way of like, okay, if you think about you know, the opposite side of the joint, if the hip flexor is tight, how do we get hip extension? How do we get maximum contraction out of the glute? So the glute is its shortest and we can contract it the hardest when we've got full hip extension. But if the hip flex is tight and we can't extend the hip, we're never getting maximum glute contraction. So it's like, well, you can try and do as many band walks and as many squats and as many hip bridges as you like. You're not going to solve that problem until you actually stretch the hip flexor. So I think, I think it's something that's commonly overlooked. And there's a lot of people walking around with that anterior pelvic tilt who have just got, you know, tight lower back, tight hip flexors and just stuck in that position where they can't get good glute contraction. So it's just like, well, what sometimes what the physio or sometimes what they've been told is, is probably the last thing that need to be done right now. They actually need to be working on the opposite side of the joint and that bit of beef jerky that you were talking about. So it's like, you yeah. know. It, the, yes, you want strong glutes, but you're never going to get them strong until you can actually start to open up those hips and that hip extension. Yeah, like what yeah. we're talking about, yeah, hundred percent. That was my issue. I had the, I, I had that exact same thing. 
I had to stretch on the I basically had to do couch stretch almost daily until I had a, a little bit of extra hip hip extension and then and then I could get a bit more out of my my glute work. But until that point, you just don't you can't access it. Uh, yeah. There yeah. There's also some cases where like you get if you can if here's the thing, like the band walks and whatever, like they're not really getting you to extend the hips. Mm. and not against gravity glute bridges do but mm. if the person isn't posteriorly tilting the hips mm -hmm. and they leave their hips like to uh, sag or like to anterior tilt mm. they won't actually strengthen the glutes in with the right intention of opening mm. the hips they're mm. just lifting up and down but mm. if, if you can like force them to posterior tilt and it will, it will like really minimize their range and then you get to like get them to lift they'll start to shake you'll see that their glutes are like shaking the hips are shaking okay now we're actually doing something worthwhile now couple that with a bit of hip bit of couch stretch and you're kind of good to go mm. you know uh so yeah i again it's one of those things where it's like physios will recommend these exercises but not with enough intention and not yeah. with enough direction for the for the person because yeah. you know i can i can tell you to to do a glute bridge or i can tell you to like do a glute bridge that's gonna get make a difference and you're like, oh shit! I've been doing. I spent one year doing glute bridges, and it was ineffective. Oh, wow. <laughs> and again, like this is where the research is like a shit as well. Because like, how have you been making those people do those exercises? Was the intention yeah. Yeah, as exactly. it should have been? Yeah, I did some work with the GB sprinting team, so we were training oh, yeah. some of the GB athletes for a while. So a couple of years, we did their strength program, and we used hip bridges as a bit of an assessment. And two of the people in the team, one was a one was a a young girl and the other guy a little bit older in his career but incredible athletes like the guy could do 100 meters in 10 point something seconds like he's up there but anterior pelvic tilt the girl was the same anterior pelvic tilt and you'd see them do the hip bridge and their hamstrings would catch on fire or it'd all be hamstrings so usually the hamstring is a synergous muscle that supports the glute and hip extension but if the glutes aren't firing the hamstring does the work guess which athletes tore their hamstrings the athletes that couldn't get good glute activation in the hip bridge because the synergist, the hamstring muscle is working overtime. So they both had hamstring injuries from past before we started training them. And then once we started working with them, and I think there was a relapse with the girl, she got a hamstring injury. Actually, so did the guy, he got another hamstring injury. But they were both just stuck in that anterior pelvic tilt and the hamstring was just taking on so much more force than it needed to be if they could correct that and work on those that glute position and stretching those hip flexors so it's an interesting thing to think about like we could you know go into the depth of this but strength training alone probably is not going to get them where they need to be and the flexibility stuff could have probably prevented or definitely not prevented decreased let's say the chance of injury and it was definitely something we worked on but you know it's a slow it's a slow progress like it's i think that's why people get frustrated with flexibility or sometimes sort of start to think oh flexibility training doesn't work or I'm an adult, I can't get flexible, like, you know, all these sort of things that come into our mind. So let's move on a little bit and talk a little, a little bit about like the reality of stretching and the progress. Like in your experience, what have you seen? How's your progress been? But also when you work with clients, what sort of progress do you see over timeframes? Yeah, that one's tough because <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just so dependent, isn't it? And on the person, like, I've had a I've had a guy reach middle split in six months, and then I've had other guys who've been working on it for over three years, and you know, they've made some gains, but they're not they're not close to reaching the full mid splits. 
I think what makes the biggest difference is like the person's mindset towards it and what they're kind of doing for it outside of the sessions as well. Because there's only so much you can kind of help with. It's like, okay, this is your program. These are your your two strength, your two big flexibility sessions per week that you're going to be doing. But I'd also like you to, you know, maybe spend some time just like exploring the ranges outside of the sessions. But that's kind of hard to to kind of give people as a recommendation. No one really wants to do it. And people who are very tight will just take really long to progress unless they're like they are spending a bit of extra time outside. And but usually they're not they're not too fast. Like they're okay. They're they will they'll take the time 18 months, 36 months, and they'll they'll develop these ranges and they'll they'll kind of get better. 18 months is a good time frame to give yourself for anything. It's like if you want a big change in your body, 18 months is a good go-to. 36 months is perfect. Three years. Three years is a really nice time frame where like you can go from being like zero to hero, if that makes sense. So again, yeah, it's gonna kind of depend like where are we starting with and and like where are we trying to get to. If we're starting from like the very bottom, you know super tightly you try and open your legs in a mid split and you're like you only get like 45 degrees of an opening give yourself a long time i guess don't don't expect anything quickly your body needs to learn a lot before we can even get it to stretch but, but instagram you, tells me i can get yeah. in 30 days mate oh, no. <laughs> here's the thing like some people will this is like this is the thing and the people that will are the ones that used to have it in the yeah. past yeah. and and the body's just like, oh yeah, I remember what we're trying to do. Ex gymnast, ex dancer, whatever. And then you get down into it and like, oh wow, 30 days I got the full middle splits. Because maybe they trained with structure for those 30 days and they, they got it back. Mm. Yeah. It's a tight like time frames. The, the the best way to think about it is like try not to just think of the the end position as mm. like the only thing worth chasing. Just try to think of the practice itself giving you benefits. Like for example, when we're when we're getting stronger in a deadlift or a squat, if we add two kilos onto your bar or your weighted chin up, that's big progress for you. Like you're happy with that. But if somebody adds 10 seconds onto their 30 second middle split a certain depth, they're not happy. They're like, yeah, but it's still shit. Mm. It's like, well, it's not. You've just made gains. <laughs> You know what I mean? So like you have to, you have to appreciate the variables in in when you're doing flexibility training, because if you don't appreciate the variables of extra time or extra comfort or a half an inch or even two centimeters of extra depth, if you don't appreciate those things, you're going to be miserable for a long time. Yeah, I think like weight's an easy thing to measure. When we're building strength and we add two kilos, we we've got this measurement and we sort of go, okay, tick. But like in flexibility, like we don't measure the width of our split stance. We don't measure, you know, how high my chest is off the floor when I do my pancake. Like it's a lot harder to measure progress because it's just not so simple. But you know, I think photos, videos, looking back, you know, three months, six months, twelve months, and you start to see the progression. Like like I say, there's these milestones along the way, and as long as you're heading in the right direction and you're getting more then the process is working and you've just got to continue along with that journey sort of step by step so i think that's one of the tricky things with flexibility training it can be hard people give up because they don't see the progress or they'll lose motivation because it's hard to track the progress but it's an important part of it i think photos and videos are probably the best way just saving them somewhere so you can go back and look at that progress yeah you know, 
the messaging services, you know, that we use and stuff like that with our clients, it's good because you can scroll back and see that history or, you know, the training apps and stuff like that. So definitely helps. Yeah. You've you've got to stop seeing like the end position as the only worthwhile position because otherwise, yeah, it's, you're not going to be able to disassociate yourself from failure. (laughs) And it's like, you, you have made progress. It, It was recently actually in, I was in Perth. I was helping a guy with his front split in a gym. Gave him a, just a couple of uh, little cues, a couple of little drills to try. He did them and he he dropped like in his front split, like a good inch. Mm-hmm. And he's looking at the video and he's like, yeah, but it's still shit. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not on the floor. Yeah. Like, yeah, but you've just dropped an inch. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is like, this is big progress. You don't understand. Like sometimes it can take people months to drop an inch. And he's like, no, it's not, it's not good enough. I want okay. instant results, mate. I want to do the splits yeah. now. <laughs> what do you mean I have to work for this shit? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Mate, it's crazy. Mate, I know I'm the clock. I know we're sort of getting close. Um, okay. There's three more things I sort of want to cover if we've got time to chat about yeah. it. It's really more about maybe the training. So a little bit about how we, how, how we would combine flexibility and strength are they done on different days are they done on the same day and then maybe we'll go into like how frequently should people be stretching and what sort of volume of stretching are we looking at okay if you're putting a muscle under stress whether it's like through stretching it or through contracting it because stretching will stress it like you're saying you know the other day if you do a three minute hamstring fold forward fold your hamstrings are going to be fatigued right (laughs) If you're putting a muscle under stress, consider it as resist as strength training for that muscle group. So let's say if you're doing a leg session and you're doing predominantly a posterior chain leg session, don't start that leg session with posterior chain stretching. You know, don't do like a hamstring stretching session and then do a hamstring loaded session because you're working that same muscle group twice and don't do it the other way around either. Don't do your leg session, your posterior chain leg session, and then go and do loads of hamstring stretches assuming you fatigue them properly in your actual leg session. Mm-hmm. So what you could do is train an opposite muscle group. If you were, let's say you might want your deadlift session um, and then finish it with, I don't know, some, your chest stretching or your overhead flexion, maybe, or like maybe even your middle splits. I've done this before. I've done deadlifts into middle splits because the, the adductors aren't getting worked heavily in the deadlift. So I can then train the adductors afterwards. So this is, if, if you want to combine, in my opinion, and this is how I usually program my clients, if I'm trying to save time, I'm trying to combine flexibility for stretching with a strength session, I will usually do the stretch, the flexibility afterwards, and I will make sure it's not correct. Overlapping. I'll make sure the muscles aren't overlapping with the strength mm-hmm. session. That's sort of like one way of doing it. And then the other way is actually just making your strength sessions a little bit more flexibility focused, kind of like what we were saying earlier with the RDLs, you know, you can, it's it's quite an easy one to do for the hips. Actually, you've got like good mornings or straddle good mornings to help improve your pancake. You've got RDLs to help improve your pike. If you don't have a lot of time for actual stretching, you can just make your lower body sessions flexibility focused. You can kind of do it for upper body as well. Have you ever seen the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger dumbbell fly, where he's doing like dumbbell flies with like his hands touching the floor. So oh, the, dumb- <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the, the dumbbells touch the floor in his flies. Yeah. Like this is, and you know, Arnie, if you look at Arnie, obviously he had a great physique, but he did he didn't have like what looked like a very tight physique. He had quite supple looking muscles.
he would train to full range. You know, he would get those dumbbells down, the hands are touching the floor. He's getting a huge pec stretch and huge stretch with the biceps and then getting stronger in that range. I, I also have to do this sometimes with some people because if they don't have the time or the energy or even the the mental dedication to want to achieve their flexibility goals. So I'm like, okay, we're probably not going to get a full bridge by doing this, but we're going to get your pecs a bit more open. And then later, if you want to do a bridge, we can work towards it a bit easier. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I like I, I like that theory. And I think sometimes when we're doing that sort of hidden flexibility, it's like a strength exercise, yeah. but it's obviously working through range. It's that getting blood flow to the muscle. It's bringing life to the muscle. And we want a nice, healthy, juicy muscle. So, you know, that sort of stuff for a lot of people who are seated, seated all day and not getting good blood flow through certain areas is a great way to improve flexibility through strength training and also increase strength. So it's like a double win with that sort of stuff. And like you say, it's not boring stuff. Sometimes holding isometric stretches for long periods of time can feel a little bit boring to some. Although I say, if you're doing it right and it's quite painful, it's not really boring. You're just trying to hold back the tears, but <laughs> it's definitely yeah, definitely a way to do it. I think I'm, I'm similar. I, like I, I've experimented with different things. Like sometimes I'd be doing one strength and one stretch and it would be like opposite muscles, like you say, with kinds just so they fit it in a program like let's say you're doing an a1 deadlift you know and then you're having two minutes rest between that deadlift like well why not just do some quad stretching it's an opposite muscle group and it's going to help hip extension and it doesn't take up any more time in your training you can just be stretching while you're resting sort of thing so you know for the people who are new to stretching i think that works quite well but then i've also combined stuff like you know you, you sort of touched on that you think that sometimes it's not wise to stretch and use that muscle but sometimes i feel that like a little bit of stretching can improve position. So if it's someone's got really tight in shoulder flexion, doing some butcher's block before they go into handstand stuff can really help to sort of open up the handstand. Yeah, the difference there is they're not, so that they're stretching the muscles in butcher block, but then mm. they're not fatiguing those muscles in a handstand. They're actually fatiguing separate muscles. Mm. So if you, let's say if we were to like, use the compare because my, my issue is if you're fatiguing the muscles twice mm. like to, to high standards so mm. they, let's say you did butcher block but then yeah. you're doing like the long plank holds yeah. you know you know you know the superman planks yes. when your hands are like yeah, yeah that would yeah. be like the equivalent of double, going double whammy if that makes sense but doing butcher block and then doing a handstand actually mm. you, what you're fatiguing is the in the handstands you're fatiguing the wrists and you're fatiguing the traps but in a butcher block Look, you're not doing that you're not hitting those yeah, yeah yeah exactly so there's there's times where we can obviously do flexibility and strength to combine and stuff like that at the moment with my structure i'm doing flexibility at the start of my session but like most of my flexibility is hip based my shoulders are pretty good i think so you know a lot of times i'm doing my hip mobility pike mobility pancake mobility bridge mobility and then after that i'm doing my gymnastic strength training which is more sort of upper body it's you know press the handstand it's planche work it's front levers it's all that sort of stuff so it's not stressing uh, the hip muscles as much as obviously the flexibility session i also find yeah. it just gets me switched on and gets me alert i like to do the flexibility first and then that's what works for me whereas if i just did the strength first sometimes i'm like oh flexibility after i've done the strength i'm done for the day <laughs> so it's like i force myself and once you do your flexibility then you can train the fun stuff <laughs> yeah. so flexibility is definitely your weakest point like for yes. your strength stuff. So it's like, you may as well just get it done first mm. and, and prioritize it. That's a good point, actually. It, it will depend on the person. Like I, I will have some some guys do their flexibility first and I'll have some do their flexibility sort of after. 
if if you're struggling with it, do it first. Just yeah. get get it done. Yeah. Work on that weakness, mate. Yeah, it helps me. Like if I'm doing press to handstand stuff, then if I've done pancake or I've done pike before that, well, then I can close that core compression more and it makes the press easier, better yes. form, better position. Like I'm teaching my body that this is where it needs to be. So it definitely helps with that sort of stuff. Just as we finish up, mate, let's talk a little bit about maybe frequency. Like how often are people sort of stretching and then maybe also yeah, frequency and volume because obviously that's that's going to affect recovery. Yeah. So again, if we take in what I said on, on the last topic, if it's if you're creating stress for the muscle, then you probably shouldn't be doing it more than like twice a week. The same way you wouldn't like bodybuild or strength twice a week on a certain muscle group. Normally, generally speaking, if it's like the same movement plane, you might hit it in a different angle, but you won't do this, the same plane more than twice a week. So what I normally recommend to people is like one max two like heavy sessions. And these are sessions where you're looking to improve your depth. So it's not, you're not just like using the range, but you're actually like trying to gain range in that session, max once or twice a week. And then if you want to do extra, sit in your comfortable pancake, sit in your comfortable forward fold or your comfortable squat or, you know, arms above your head or do a little movement routine or a little morning stretch routine. That's fine. You can do that as much as you like providing you're not trying to push for depth in those sessions because as soon as you start pushing for depth you're going to get doms the next day and you can't do that every day hmm. that makes sense that's usually my go-to for frequency and then for volume I could, like i have some people on like 20 minute sessions i have some people on like hour hour 15 on the flexibility work kind of like strength training it's some it, you do need to build some capacity over time. So I wouldn't like just go head it, especially if you're doing other, if you have other practices, other things you like to train, don't just start smashing, you know, 60, 90 minute sessions on flexibility. You're just going to wreck yourself. Yeah, start a bit easier. Start with 30 minutes, try and build it up. If you can start with two sets of your exercises, build to three, maybe four. But again, max once or twice a week. That's usually my go-to in terms of, yeah, how to sort of deal with it and it, yeah again it can really differ it's like where they're trying to put it in their program are they doing it to help the handstand cool you don't want to do a whole hour of stretching and then do handstands maybe someone do like 20 30 minutes are they doing it just because they really want to improve this range cool maybe we can give you a solid hour hour 15 dedicated to this time on this range that's usually my kind of go-to with this yeah, I like it, mate. Yeah. Like I said before, I see stretching as hypertrophy training a lot of the times. A lot of the times we're putting, you know, 60 seconds or 45 seconds of time under tension or greater into those muscles. So then I apply the same principles that I would for hypertrophy training. And like you touched on with bodybuilders, they might do, you know, chest and chest one day, one day a week, chest and triceps, and then back and biceps, and then switch things up. So it's like they're hitting the muscle group once a week, then allowing it to recover and then hitting it again. So yeah, again, depending on the 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 intensity of the stretch, like if we're doing deep, deep, deep stuff, then it's probably once a week. And if it's more light stuff, like you sort of said, just hanging out in the positions or just doing a little bit of stretching before handstands, then you know that's probably not a bad thing to have that extra stuff in there. But yeah, changing the muscle groups, changing the focus, and then sort of cycling with that. And your your phases are six weeks, so people are sticking to the same program for six weeks. 
yeah, I, I like to use six weeks because it kind of gives them two weeks to get used to the exercises and then four weeks to actually grind them out. There's many cases where I actually leave some supersets or some exercises exactly the same for the second phase. They might be doing 12 weeks of the same thing because it's working for them. Like yeah. I've had people doing long lunch for like nine months mm. with almost the exact same sets and reps because each month they're getting lower. So I'm not going to change this. You're making gains. I'm happy. You're happy. We're keeping this in, you know? Yeah. It's not broken. Don't fix it. And it doesn't, doesn't have to be variety. We don't have to be changing the program every week or every six weeks to be able to make progress. I think sometimes people see that, but I think that's more entertainment than it is training. Like if we hit train, we're here to get results. If it's working, let's do it. Let's not start to bring in all this other phony or fake stuff that might not might slow down your progress. Like, yeah. I agree with that 100%. Yeah. I, th- I think that's where people get a bit sidetracked as well and that they get a bit worried. Oh, should I keep it? Should I not? Is it time to change? Do I need to confuse the muscle? Yeah. <laughs> if, if you're making gains, you keep making yeah. gains. It. It's a, just quickly, it's funny what you're saying about the bodybuilding. So, bodybuilders were. Like if, if you look at like some of the good bodybuilding programs, they were like secretly the pioneers of of the antagonist agonist stretching methods. They would use you know buys and tries, back and chest. Like if you think about it, we do the same with a lot of our flexibility training. Although like the way I've been programming for you and some of my students at the moment, let's say you're doing flies, right? We spoke about the chest flies. Mm. Some of them they would superset with reverse flies. So what mm. you do is like you do reverse flies to create the contraction in the the rear delts and then when you go for your normal flies chest flies you actually get more range because of the reciprocal inhibition from the rear delt flies so they were like the pioneers of agonist antagonist stretching it's quite yeah. interesting yeah 100 mate there's some good stuff back in the old school ways isn't there so yeah yeah <laughs> all right man i think we've covered a lot there it's been awesome we've probably gone a little bit over but it's been great to sort of touch in and talk about i suppose a pretty sort of broad topic you know, last week we focused in on the chin-up, or sorry, last month we focused in on the chin-up, very specific, but nice to sort of have a broad topic. Is there anything else you want to add in terms of flexibility training before we finish up? Don't give up. And don't give up. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard, but like you can do it. Like if, if, if we can do it, we can get flexible. Like you can definitely get flexible. Yeah, 100%, mate. I think it's also longevity. It's like you see a lot of the big power lifters and a lot of guys grinding out the strength stuff, but like you don't see them lifting heavyweights in their 50s, 60s, and 70s going on. But you do see old Chinese guys still in the middle splits and, you know, doing front splits and all that sort of stuff. And like they're, they're still mobile, they're still super active, they're still, you know, enjoying life. So I think flexibility as we get older it becomes more important and the sooner we start training the better i think that's one of my biggest regrets i wish i knew what i did what i know now back 10 20 years ago because i think it made a difference to you know obviously where i am today but also to a lot of my training maybe some of the injuries maybe my progress a lot of that sort of stuff so even if it's just a little bit i'd recommend yeah get involved with stretching and start doing more flexibility training as soon as you can for sure it will unlock a lot of doors for you going ahead yeah, that's it. Mate, if people want to find out more about you and what you do, where can they go? They can find me on Instagram at learning to human, T-O human. T-O human, there it is. Yeah, learning <laughs> yeah, and you got a website? 
uh, yeah, the same, lanitahuman.co.uk. Co.uk, there it is. I'm stretch, at stretch.rainer on Instagram or at TST Method. And the website is www.tstmethod.com. So if you've got any questions about today's podcast or anything about your gymnastic strength, flexibility, handstands, feel free to send them to Ernie or myself. Other than that, it's been great to have you listening. Thanks for listening and tune in next time. Thanks, guys.